Shalom, everyone, and welcome once again to the Science of the Covenant podcast. I am Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is the pastor, Richard Washington. And if you know and you've been listening to us or watching us on YouTube, uh, we have been dealing with the science of the sacrifice. And this week we are on part eight. If you haven't been caught up on the science of the sacrifice, the first seven, I suggest you go back and watch them to kind of get caught up to see where we at because each episode builds on each other as we go. And if you have any questions or comments while the podcast is live, feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com or you can drop your question or comment in the chat and we will get to it live on air. Also, we want you to know, even if the question you have doesn't have to deal with either the topics and let's talk about it or the topic uh, that the pastor is giving us to this week is biblical, please feel free to email us your question or comment and so we can address it. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to the pastor. And pastor, what are you going to be covering today in part eight? Okay. Uh, in our last discourse, what we dealt with was the atonement f- phases. And we dealt with three of them last Shabbat. And we want to look at some more of the phases uh, today. Now, thus far in the phases, we have phase one, which was they were to bring a lamb. Now, the lamb was to be representative of the sin bearer. So the number one phase was to bring a lamb. Number two was once they had gotten a lamb, they would bring it to the priests and they would lay their hands on the head of the lamb and confess their sins. So phase two was really the laying on of hands, but we can also call that the confession stage. And then we also discussed the third phase, which was to cut the lamb's throat. And they did that in order to get the blood because blood is what they used to atone or to make right. Because we understand that blood represents life. So when you take the life, when you take the blood of the animal, you was taking his life because blood represents life. And just like we, we have blood that represents our life. So what we want to do today, since we've dealt with those three phases, we want to cover, we're going to try to get at least two more phases. And that's going to be phase four and five. And since four is not that lengthy, but five is pretty lengthy, that if we have another stage, we may have to get that the following week. So that's where we are, the atonement phases. So let us pray. Eternal Father, we are so thankful that we can be able to meet with you again and meet with your people. And most of all, O Heavenly Father, to be able to gather together on the Shabbat, to be able to discuss things that is pertinent to salvation, and to be able to renew our minds on truth and to be able to be in harmony with your wishes that we may be able to follow the covenant promises that you have given to us and through your spirit, O Heavenly Father, that we can be able to know of a certainty of the things that you have given us that if we follow, then we know that these things lead to the eternal existence of being with you, your son, 
and the angelical hosts and all of the saved of the ages, these blessings and others, we do ask in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, and for his dear sake we do pray, amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Okay, now this, uh, the atonement phase, as we get into it, we want to we turn to uh, Genesis chapter 4. And I want to just look at one verse, I believe that's verse 34. And we'll come back to it later on, no doubt. And here the Bible says in Genesis 4, verse 34, And the priest shall take of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it upon the horns of the altar of the burnt offerings and shall pour out all the blood thereof at the bottom of the altar. Okay, now when we read, uh, let me see, verses, uh, we'll go back up a little bit. Uh, let me see. Okay, now I mean we go down to verse 35. And verse 35 says, And he shall take away all the fat thereof, as the fat of the lamb is taken away from the sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall burn them upon the altar according to the offering made by fire unto Yah. And the priest shall make an atonement for his sin that he has committed, and it shall be forgiven him. So in other words, when they brought the sacrifice, they were looking forward to the forgiveness of the things that they had trans transgressed in. So the atonement phase four so what we look at in the atonement uh, phase four is the repentant experiences both forgiveness of sins by having them transferred to the innocent, pure, spotless lamb. And the innocent, pure, and spotless lamb's life was transferred to the repentant. So in, stage, in, in, in phase four that we are dealing with, we're talking about being able to receive forgiveness for sins. After you confessed it, then you go to the next stage, which is you get forgiveness for your sins. And in that process of being forgiven, what happens is that the blood of the repentant is substituted for the blood of the lamb. The lamb had pure blood, but the repentant had sinful blood, which translate into the fact that the repentant who came for forgiveness had sinful blood, which meant that he had a sinful life. And he gave this life to the lamb, and the lamb gave its sinful blood or its sinful life to that of the repentant. So they exchanged lives. The lamb gave the pure, and the repentant gave the impure. It was through this act that the repentant was set free from his sins and transgression and was at liberty to go from the priest sinless. So once having been set free from sin and was at liberty to go from the sanctuary tabernacle. So when they brought that sacrifice and then they made the exchange, they left their sins there at the sanctuary because they had been come purified and made holy. Now we go into a uh, phase five, the atonement phase five. 
Now, in this phase, the priests would then perform at least two ministries, and we want to examine these 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 ministries. And I'm not sure if we'll be able to get both of the ministries, but we're going to try to cover at least one of the ministries that the priests were to perform in this fifth phase. So again, we want to go back to Leviticus 4, and we want to look at verse 34. Leviticus chapter 4 and verse 34. It said, And the priest shall take of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it upon the horns of the altar of burnt offerings and shall pour out all the blood thereof at the bottom of the altar. Okay, now the first ministry the priest performed with the sacrificial blood of the lamb took place in the sanctuary tabernacle courtyard. Okay, now if you remember, uh, well, uh, the, when we look at the sanctuary tabernacle that Moses was instructed to build on this earth, it had a courtyard, and inside the courtyard, you had a tabernacle, a, uh, a sanctuary tabernacle, and in that sanctuary tabernacle, there were two two apartments. You had the first apartment when you went in, and they call that the holy place, and then there was a veil that separated the holy place from the most holy, and so on the other side of the veil, you had another compartment they called the most holy place. Now, the holy place that they first went into, they would generally do ministry in there 359 days a year, but they only went into the most holy place one time a year, and that was on the Day, day of Atonement. So what we're looking at is that when they brought the sacrifice and it was and, and they slay and they and they slew the sacrifice, then the first ministries that was to be performed were in the courtyard. They didn't go into the sanctuary yet. They did it in the courtyard. And so this is what we want to look at. In this ministry, the priest would make some applications of the blood to certain areas and furnish and furnishings in the area of the in the area of the courtyard. Now, you remember, if you study the sanctuary, in the courtyard, you had the altar of burnt offerings. That was the altar where they put the sacrifice on. And you also had the brazen laver. And these were basically the two pieces of furnishings that were in the courtyard of the sanctuary. They were two very important pieces of furniture. It said, <clears throat> and, and we reference this courtyard's application of the sacrificial blood of the lamb as a courtyard application, the sacrificial blood of the lamb. And we call this the outer appropriate of life. So we want to look at the creation of the atonement life. Okay. So when we talk about the outer appropriation of the atonement life, we, what we are basically talking about is outside of the sanctuary in the court, the, out in the court. We call this the outer <coughs> appropriations because we haven't gone into the sanctuary yet. That would be the second ministry that they would perform. But in the outer court, this is the, this is the ministry that we want to deal with first. And we call that the outer 
appropriation of the atonement life. Now, let us go back to Leviticus chapter 4, and this time we want to start at verse 32. Now, here's, here's what it says. Here in uh, Leviticus chapter 4, verses 32, and we're going to read on down. It said, and he shall bring for a sin offering, he shall bring it a female without blemish, and he shall lay his hand upon the head of the sin offering and slay it for a sin offering in the place where they kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall take of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it upon the horns of the altar of burnt offering and shall pour out all the blood thereof at the bottom of the altar and he shall take away all the fat thereof as the fat of the lamb taken away from the sacrifice of the peace offerings and the priest shall burn them upon the altar according to the offerings made by fire unto Yah and the priest shall make an atonement for his sin that he has committed and it shall be forgiven him. So in this first ministry, the priest would take some sacrificial blood of the lamb and wash off the blood in the brazen laver. We reference such a ministry as this, as the water and the blood washing, which we call the aqua hemo immersion. In other words, we are talking about the blood and the water and how they had to take a sacrifice and wash it off in the water. So let us look at uh, this type of immersion. This is a certain type of immersion. When we talk about the aqua hemo immersion, we are talking about the water and the blood immersion. Okay. Now, when we talk about the water and the blood immersion, we want to be, uh, we, we, we want to see what this immersion is about. Because generally when they sacrifice, they had to wash the blood off of the sacrifice before they could put it on the altar. And when you read through the Bible, uh, some of the texts will show you that when men of old, when they sacrifice something, they would wash off the blood of the sacrifice in the water. And we'll find a reason why they had to wash the blood off. Now, when we look at the aqua hemo immersion, we talk, we say aqua because that is the word for water, and hemo is the word for blood, and then we have the word for immersion. So what we have is the the water and the blood immersion. In the aqua hemo immersion, the blood of the lamb is washed away from the flesh of the lamb is washed away from the flesh of the lamb sacrifice, leaving it free of the sinful blood. So why is the sinful blood washed off of it? Now, the reason being is that it is sinful blood. Sinful blood represents a sinful life. The lamb gave its innocent blood or its innocent life to the repentant and in, and in turn, the repentant gave its sinful life to the lamb, which made the lamb's life blood impure. Therefore, the lamb 
was immersed in water to wash away the sinful life blood of the lamb, once having been cleansed of the sinful blood by water, it is now ready to be offered up as a sin offering on the brazen altar of burnt offerings. And we reference this water blood as the watery, bloody life. We call this the aqua hemo zoe. So when we talk about the aqua hemo zoe, we're talking about three words, aqua meaning water, hemo meaning blood, and zoe, Z-O-E, is life. So when we talk about the aqua hemo zoe, we are talking about the water, blood, life. Since this is sinful blood, we are dealing with, when we reference sinful blood as this, we call this the, the uh, sinful blood life, the sinful blood life. All right, now, when we deal with the sinful blood life, now another part, another part of this first ministry, the priest would take the sacrificial blood of the lamb and he would pour it in the soil. He would pour it in the uh, in in the soil. Okay, he would pour it in the soil at the bottom of the altar. Now let's notice back. We go back to. Uh, Verse 34 in Leviticus chapter 4, it says at the latter part of this verse, it says, and he put it, and he put it upon the horns of the altar of the burnt offering and shall pour out all the blood thereof at the bottom of the altar. Okay, now we looked at the water blood that was put in the brazen altar to wash the blood off of the sacrifice. Now we are experiencing something different. He's taking the same blood that the lamb had, but this time the Bible says he is to take it and pour it out at the bottom of the altar. So we want to kind of look at that as well. So a part of the first ministry, the priest would take the sacrificial blood of the lamb and pour it in the soil at the bottom of the brazen altar. We reference this as a ministry, as this is the soil and the blood intermingling, which we call the geo immersion. And so we want to look at this immersion too. So when we talk about the geo hemo immersion, in the geo hemo immersion, the blood of the lamb is poured on the ground, leaving its sinful blood in the earth. Why is the sinful blood poured on the earth? The reason being is that it is sinful blood. Sinful blood represents a sinful death. The lamb gave its innocent life to the repentant, and in turn, the repentant gave its sinful death to the lamb, which made the lamb's blood, or made the lamb's death blood impure. Therefore, the lamb's blood caught in the basin was the sinful dead blood of the lamb. Once having been poured on the ground, the sinful blood on the ground has a tone 
for the repentant by taking his sentence and penalty of death upon itself and going into the soil of the earth, which is the grave. We reference this soil blood as the soily bloody death. We, we, <clears throat> in other words, we can look at this as the earth blood of death. Since this is sinful blood, we are dealing with, when we reference sinful blood as this, we call this the hamartia hemos thanatos. And what we say in hamartia means sin in the Greek, and hemo means blood, and thanatos means death. So when Adam sinned by partaking of the forbidden tree, his, his life was to atone, uh, be atoned for by him going into the grave because he had broke, broken the covenant. So when we look at the earth, the blood, and death, they all was a result of the sinful blood. So here in this part of our discourse, we want to see how the sinful sacrifice, sacrificial blood in the water and the sinful sacrificial blood of the soil operate in our redemption. We will start with the sinful sacrifice, sacrificial blood in the water of which we call the sinful atoning life, the sinful atoning life, or the harmatia atoning life, the harmatia atoning life. What we want to observe in this portion of our study is the purpose of the sinful sacrificial blood, which we call the harmatia atoning life. In this life, the repentant is given life through the lamb's blood of purity and the lamb takes our sinful life of impurity. By doing so, our sinful blood is put upon the lamb who in turn takes our sinful blood and washes it away in the water. Such an act as this qualifies the repentant to be able to be sin free because his sins are washed away. As long as the repentant lives his, as long as the repentant lives, his sins are washed away by the water. Such a washing brings about a cleansing, which is a sin-free life while one lives in this present world. Such a cleansing as this is referenced to as a living water cleansing of which we call the zoe aqua purification. Zoe means life, aqua means water, and it's a zoe aqua purification. In other words, we are purified by the blood and we are also purified by the water. In the zoe aqua purification, as long as the repentant continues to live in accordance with Yah's will, he will be fit to have life free from transgression. 
such a purification as this is evidence that in this life one is living a living righteously and so as one lives righteously then that individual is in tune with Elohim's covenant now when Adam sinned by partaking of the forbidden tree his life would be terminated and he would return unto the ground for the Bible says in Genesis let's turn to Genesis chapter 3 and we want to look at verse number 6 find out what happened to Adam Okay, we want to look at our first text in Genesis, and that's Genesis chapter 3, and we want to consider verse number 6, Genesis 3, 6. Now, in Genesis 3, 6, it says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took up the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband, with her and he did eat okay now let us turn to genesis chapter 2 and verse 17 and the bible tells us he was talking to adam he said but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die and then we turn to genesis chapter 3 again but we want to use verse 19 genesis 3 19 tells us in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of the, it was thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. So what we are looking at is that when Adam uh, had eaten of the forbidden, his life would be terminated, and he would return unto the ground, for the Bible says he came from the dust and unto the dust he will return. So the blood poured out at the bottom of the altar represents the death of the lamb who was taken on who was who was taken on the sinful for the sinful life of the repentant by taking on the sinful life it must also be subject to the sentence and the penalty of a sinner, which is death. So when the lamb took away the sin of the repentant, he also had to go, the lamb had to go through the penalty and the sentence of death, because see, that's what the repentant would have received if he didn't have an atonement. He would have had to had a sentence of death and he, he would have had the penalty of death. And the repentant would have had to do both of those things. But when he put that sin on the lamb, then the lamb not only took his sinful life, but he also took his sentence and the penalty of death. Thus, death is symbolized by the killing of the lamb and, and burying the sinful life in the ground. And so when we see that blood put in the ground, that's like burying the sinful life. The life of the sinner goes to the grave. Now that we have briefly observed the earthly blood immersion, let us see how it 
question. At the sinful sack in water and seeing how soil, which we respectively call the watery and the earthly graves. So we want to look at those two, the water and the earthly graves. Now remember, the water was from the labor, and then they put the blood to wash off the sinful blood, and then we took the blood and we put it in the soil, and that was considered the grave. So as long as one engages in such a purification, he will be he will continue to have the pure life of the lamb who died for him. This life is guaranteed to be accepted. So what we are looking at now is that uh, we're going to try to align the blood of the water and the blood of the soil. We want to look at those two kind of together. Okay, and we'll be making some distinctions as we go. Now, what we see here is that if the life water purification guaranteed one life as long as we live, then what if we die? In other words, the the life-given water is that type of life that we live while we are here on earth. And when our life has been given to the lamb and the lamb washes away our sins in that water, this is what we call the living washing, the pure life of the lamb who died for him. This life is a guarantee of life accepted to Yahuwah as long as we live. So when we are washed by the blood of the lamb and he has taken our sins and he put it and washed them away, then as long as we live, if we are in accordance with his will, then we are all right with him. However, if the water, if the living water purification guaranteed one life as long as we live, then what if we die? What if we die? In other words, if we are guaranteed life in this world as long as the, uh, our sins are being washed away, then what happens when we die? Well, this brings us to this sinful sacrificial blood in the soil of which we call the sinful atoning death. So when we look at the sinful atoning death, what we want to observe in this part of our compilation is the purpose of the sinful sacrificial blood, which we call the sinful atoning death. In this death, the repentant is given life through the death of the lamb's blood of purity, and the lamb takes our sinful blood of impurity. By doing so, our sinful blood is put upon the lamb who in turn takes our sinful blood and puts it in the soil. Such an act as this qualifies the repentant to be able to be sin-free because his sins are buried. As long as the repentant is dead, his sins are buried away 
by the soil. Such a burial brings about a burying, they would bury, which is a sin-free death while one is dead in this present world. Such a burial as this is re referenced to as the death soil burial of which we call the Thanatos geo purification. The Thanatos geo purification is what we experience in death. In the Thanatheo purification, which is the death in the earth, as long as the repentant has in accordance with Yah's will, he will be fit to have a death free from transgression. Such a purification as this is evidence that in death one has died righteously. And as long as one has been engaged in such a purification, he will continue to have the pure death of the lamb who died for him. This death is a guarantee of a death accepted to Elohim as long as one is dead. So what we are seeing here is when we living, it is the blood and the water that commends us to our heavenly father. And when we die, it is the blood and the soil that makes our death commendable to our Heavenly Father. So both the water and the soil plays a part in our redemptive process because one covers our life while we're living and the other cover our life when we are dead. Father in heaven, as we have looked at phase four and five, we ask that you would help us to understand these things. And as we continue the redemptive practices and what we learn, that we may put it in action. And as a result, in the end, we can find the redemption that you have promised to us. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. So I have a question. Um, is there a uh, correlation? You said that the priest will pour water onto the meat or to the blood, to the sacrifice, to wash some of the blood? Well, what they did, uh, well, well let, me, let me point this out. Uh-huh. Here, here in the book of, uh, let me see, I'll give you the Exodus. Uh, let me see. Let me see. In the book of Exodus, let me see. All right. We want to, let me see. They generally had, had uh, the, like I said, they had two furnishings in the court of the sanctuary. Uh -huh. And in, in, in there, they had the altar of burnt offerings and the brazen laver. Now the brazen laver was generally what they did to washing of the washing away of the blood of, of, the, uh, of the sacrificial offering. Uh -huh. Okay, and that's where they wa washed it. 
So that's where they washed the blood off from the sacrificial offering? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So here in uh, Genesis, uh, not Genesis, but Exodus chapter 30, uh, in verse, well, 17, we start with 17. It said, And Yah spake unto Moses, saying, Thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass to wash withal. So in other words, this brazen uh, altar was for them to wash. They could wash their hand, foot, but they would also wash off the blood of the sacrifice. Uh-huh. And okay. I was going to point out in our discourse that that one of the reasons why they washed it off is because it was, it was sinful blood. So let me ask this then. Is there any correlation to that and Yahusha when he came onto the scene being baptized? Yes, it is. But uh, what, what, what we are dealing with now in this uh, part of our studies uh-huh. is the type. We're just dealing with the type. Okay. Which is the lamb sacrifice. But when we get into the antitypical uh, ministry, then that's when he would come in to show you how he fulfilled that of a lamb. Okay. Yeah. So we haven't gotten there, but you're a little ahead, but that's good. You're thinking because that's what is leading to the antitypical lamb. Okay. Yeah. Because I was just wondering, I mean, you know, as he was talking about the washing of the blood and the washing of sins, is there something there with him um, going through baptism and everything? Yeah, we'll, at that we'll time, see a right? lot more parallels uh, once we get to the antitypical. Okay. Because see, but we we are selling we are studying sacroology, which means that we have to understand the sacrificial system that Elohim put out there mm-hmm. for the people in days of old. And once we can understand a lot of the lessons from the typical service then it would help us to better understand the antitypical service of Yeshua. Because uh, to a large extent, most people, you know, they have just heard, you know, he died on the cross and that was it. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's about it. All you do is accept him and you'll be saved. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's a lot more. I mean, that you will be saved, but there's a lot more to it that uh, we need to study so we can properly put things in a proper perspective. Okay. Um, also, uh, what were the significance of the horns on the uh, altar? We, we, uh, that, 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 we'll, we'll be getting to that. We haven't okay. gotten to that. In other words, uh, that is a part of the ministry in the court too. Uh-huh. And so if we can cover, we covered the blood and the water and the blood on the, on the, on the soil, so I believe n- next week we'll be starting with that w- with that particular point that you just you know talked about today. Okay. And we'll show you the significance of the blood put being put on the horns. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And with that, so you want to tune in next week? He's going to explain uh, the blood being put on the horns because I'm curious. I want to know what that means. What does the horn mean? And everything. And so with that, we will transition into our next segment. Up next is Let's Talk About That. So uh, if he was tuning in last week, we kind of hint on it and talked a little bit about it uh, because we had a question that came in about clean and unclean meats. 
And so I wanted to kind of, if we can, dig a little bit deeper in regards to clean and unclean meats this week uh, to get some clarification from the pastor about those meats that are sanctioned by Yah that we can and can't eat. And if you have your Bibles, uh, if you can turn with me into Leviticus chapter 11, and we're going to read verses 2 through 8. Now, this week we're going to deal with uh, the beast on the land that he has said that are unclean and that are clean and unclean. Next week, we're going to deal with leaven. And the week after that, we're going to come back to clean and unclean, but deal with the animals of the sea. All righty. So if you have your Bibles, uh, Leviticus chapter 11, verses 2 through 8, and it reads, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, These are the beasts which ye shall eat among all the beasts that are on the earth. Whatsoever parteth the hoof and is cloven-footed and cheweth the cud among the beasts that ye shall eat. Nevertheless, these shall ye not eat of them that chew the cud or of them that divide the hoof as the camel, because he cheweth the cud, but divideth not the hoof. He is unclean unto you. And the coney, because he cheweth the cud, but divideth not the hoof, he is unclean unto you. And the hare, because he cheweth the cud, but divideth not the hoof, he is unclean unto you. And the swine, though he divide the hoof and be cloven-footed, yet he cheweth not the cud, he is unclean to you. Of their flesh shall ye not eat, and their carcass shall ye not touch. They are unclean unto you. So, Pastor, one of the questions I have now, like when you look at the hare and or the rabbit and you look at the camel, as far as I know, these animals eat vegetation, but Yah says they are unclean mm-hmm. because of the certain, uh, uh, they, uh, the camel doesn't, uh, he chews the cud, but uh, he does not divide his the hoof. Mm-hmm. So those things particularly make that animal unclean, even though they eat vegetation. So it's not just about what their diet eat, it's basically their structure. Well, you got, you got more than just a structure. Uh-huh. You you have you have their diet, you have the structure, and also you have their practices. Mm, it's, like, okay. it's like a lot of the uh, clean and unclean have, uh, animals. You have to look at <clears throat> some of their practices. Let us take case an example like the uh, like the pig. Uh-huh. It's like a lot of people say, well, you know, I could eat the pig because uh, the pig is. Uh, made to uh well let, let, let's put it this way some people say well I, they feel they can eat the, eat the pig because uh they say if we raise the pig uh-huh. by eating grains and don't allow it to eat a lot of filth and stuff then it's clean but elohim didn't say don't eat it simply because of what you fed it uh-huh. he said he said it is unclean so when he says unclean, there's no circumstances that you can give for eating it 
okay. and, and found a justification. Now, uh, when you consider the fact that a swine is considered a scavenger, it's yeah. a scavenger animal, it was to clean up the filth on the earth. His, 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 his body was designed to do that. So when he designed the pig's body, then there were certain things he put in the pig's body that was not only conducive for the pig to digest a lot of filth, uh -huh. but the type of organs in the pig's body and and the type of uh, uh, acids or what I might say, the fluids in his body was designed to break down filth. Uh -huh. He can... A pig can take a lot of filth in. It wouldn't bother the pig because uh, Elohim made the pig to be able to digest it. So whether you feed it grain, if it never even if it never even touched unclean stuff, just the makeup of the chemistry and the stuff that is in the pig still would be detrimental to your health if mm -hmm. you even if it even if it didn't even touch the filth. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it would be harmful to you. Okay, then the second thing is that it was made to clean up the filth. So if Elohim made it to clean up the filth, and then it got stuff to help digest the filth, and you eat the pig, you're eating both the slop that the pig is ate, eating and also partaking of those elements in the pig's body that is not conducive for good health in you. Mm -hmm. So it, it, his hygiene habits, as well as how he's, he's been structured and made, was not to be for human consumption. But man has taken the pig and almost every part of the pig, and it's one of the, uh, I would say, highest uh, selling meats on the market. I think people buy more pork than any, 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 any meat, and especially in the holidays when they're talking about a barbecue, get all these pork ribs. Mm -hmm. But Elohim says that the way it, is, it, the way it was made, if it don't, if it doesn't chew the cud and pot the huff, don't eat it. And if it pots the huff and don't chew at the cud, don't eat it. And if it chew at the cud and don't pot the huff, don't eat it. And so we look at his practices, we look at his hygiene habits, and we look at how it's been constructed. Mm -hmm. And said, don't eat it. So like with the camel and the hare, we even though we may eat vegetation, we have to look at probably some of his practices that would make it unclean. Some of the yeah, not his practice, do. but some of the um, uh, fluids in his body that was designed uh -huh. to deal, you know, with with certain things that it would not be healthy for us to take it into our system. Ah, okay. Never thought about the fluids aspect of what's in their blood and in their system that can have an adverse effect. Uh, we have a question that was written in and it reads, are we not adding to the word of Yah and going against first Timothy four, three, when we as an organization say we should abstain from eating clean meats? So, uh, that was first Timothy. What? First Timothy four, ch uh, chapter four, verse three. Verse three. Yes. Okay. And somebody is asking a question. Repeat that question again. And 
question is, uh, are we not adding to the word of Yah and going against 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, when we as an organization say we should abstain from eating clean meats? Um, I don't know if any organization is saying they abstain from eating clean meats. What organization there? Yeah, they didn't say. Yeah, now what this is saying is said forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. Mm -hmm. It didn't say anything about clean meats. It says to abstaining from meats. From meats. So uh, I'm not sure if I know of any organization that is teaching that you have to abstain from clean meats. Uh, I don't know if, if you you can tell me. I'm, I'm, I, I don't know. I know there are people who teach. Uh, <clears throat> I know there are religions that teach uh, uh, that we shouldn't eat unclean meats. Mm -hmm. Like even in Islam, they 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 teach against pork. Okay, but I don't think they uh, teach that you can't eat clean meats. And I think you got the Adventists. You know, they, they teach uh, vegetarianism and veganism, and then they also teach that you can eat the clean meats, mm -hmm. you know, but I think it's your preference whether you want to be carnivorous or you want to be an That's, you know, that's up to you which diet you select, but you have a choice. And some churches may be very strong on teaching that but it would not be biblical because you can eat clean meats and i've seen many ministries of people going almost entirely what the bible says and they teach their congregation that it's okay to eat clean meats and of course i don't find no problem with it but uh, uh when you look at that i don't know if they uh, have looked at a vegetarian diet because when they have looked at diets all around the world with the Japanese people who live in the Himalayan mountains and they have studied people from Lama Linda University, which is a part of the Advent Church, they have discovered that these people who eat less meat and on a vegetable diet, uh, on a plant-based diet, they fare much better. But these groups that they come out of, or the religion so-called, as they come out of, I don't think they teach that you can't eat it. They just teach the best diet, and then you have to make your selection. But this text is basically talking about abstaining from meats. Okay, now uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know of any organization that teach that you can't eat clean meats. I, if you do, you know, let let me know. But I think this is talking about just meat in general, be it clean or unclean. Uh, but I would have to trace this word meat down because all the time when you talk is about meats, it's, it, it doesn't always mean flesh. Mm -hmm. You have plant-based meats, you know. Yeah. But just looking at it on the surface, I'm, I'm assuming very strongly that it's talking about flesh. But this is talking about flesh meats, but it didn't necessarily... Uh, talk about abstaining uh, that 
people uh, teaching to abstain from clean meats. So if that, I'll leave it with that. And if I didn't answer it, you know, bring it back again. We'll we'll revisit it. Uh, did y'all originally create us to eat meat? Or were we supposed to mainly have a plant-based diet? Well, that's what he started off with, a plant-based diet. Yeah. But they had a they had a knowledge. There was a knowledge of the uh, clean and the unclean uh, when he established the world. Mm-hmm. Because if we turn to uh, Genesis chapter 7, and when we look at Genesis chapter 7, let me read a couple of verses here. In Genesis chapter 7, and you look at verses 2 and 3, it says, it said, of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female, and of the beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female, of the fowls also of the air by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. So we we see here way back in Adam's, uh, way back in the time in which uh, Noah was getting ready to build the ark when he they were going to get on. They had a knowledge of this even before Moses had written it. So Moses was writing something after uh, Elohim had already given to his people, but he was reiterating it because long before Moses even got on the scene, they knew about the clean and the unclean. So apparently Adam must have known it as well, and he passed it down. But then when we started writing about it, when Moses codified it, when he went up on the mountain and Elohim revealed the time, and then he rewrote already what the people in the antediluvian world had already known. So they had a knowledge knowledge of the clean and the unclean already. Mm. Wow. You know, I, I, I just wonder when was the point that the human race, you know, decided that they wanted to eat, you know, animals if they was, oh. you know, uh, so much a plant-based diet. Yeah, well, he knew that after the flood, mm-hmm. all of the plants, they would be destroyed and mm-hmm. they had to regrow. Yeah. And so he permitted them. And I think it was just a transitory diet. Okay. He didn't expect them to stay on it, but uh, he told them that they could eat the clean meats. He yeah. emphasized that, the clean meats, because even when we read in Genesis chapter 7, he was saying that... Uh, uh, that they they were to keep they were to keep these species of life so that when they got off of the ark then they would continue to reproduce mm-hmm. and as they reproduce then the plant life would grow back let me see i was trying to find a place where it said let me see oh yeah here in verse 4 of genesis 7 4 says for yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. So he knew that there was going to be a devastation of all of the life on the earth. So they would, they would have some clean beasts to eat. And they would also have some beasts to sacrifice because... First thing that Adam did, I mean, first thing that Noah did after 
after the flood, when he got off the ark, he wants to make a sacrifice. So what I'm saying is he permitted them to do that mm-hmm. up until uh, the vegetation would grow back and then they could probably get off of it. But apparently they stayed on it. And as they mm-hmm. stayed on it, then men began to continue to eat it. And I think this is what brought a lot of the corruption uh, about even after the flood mm-hmm. because they continued to eat that flesh meat. Because you remember when Moses got a hold of them and they got in the wilderness, Elohim gave them that manna, and they they were they were lusting after that flesh. Yeah, you know. So I think it was a temporary diet. I can't prove it, but it it, it seems like to me if the plant based diet was okay for them when they was first created, why why wouldn't it now also be something that can enhance their physical life even after they sin? Yeah. Because, you know, it's interesting, too, because when you go with Daniel and the Hebrew boys that was in, uh, you know, dealing with Nebuchadnezzar at the time, mm-hmm. and they decided to go with an all-vegetable diet, how they were a lot more superior than the people who ate up the king's meat. And I would think that the king's meat just didn't have unclean meats, but it also had some clean meats, too, because most people that eat meat eat both clean and unclean mm-hmm. and all. So it just shows, you know, how much a vegetable diet does to the body compared to people wanting to eat meat, you know, animal flesh, rather. Yeah. But, you know, it's interesting, too, how out of all of them, it's something that must be with the pig or the swine. Because, you know, how he points that out about not eating that because it's basically a scavenger. And it seems like even like in the book of Maccabees, uh, it's like the Kings of the time was stressing Hebrew people trying to force them to eat out of all the meats, eat that swine in that pork. Then fast forward to slavery in the Americas, you know, how we got introduced to the chitlins. That was just the crap that the slave master didn't want that he threw to the slaves for them to eat mm-hmm. and all. And even now, we done transitioned down to now. We still, a lot of our people eating that mess, which is very unhealthy, you know. Mm. But. Yeah, well, when I was over in Africa, I think some of the Africans were saying they, they weren't introduced to pork and all this stuff until the white missionaries came over there wow. and they introduced them to it, you know. But those uh, dietary habits is something that the European people have yeah. brought over to other countries and other countries have, you know, followed their lead. Mm-hmm. But if they had followed these scriptures, then they would have known that these things were not to be taken internally. And, you know, that, that it's interesting that you say that because when I look at a lot of the African and Caribbean nations and whatnot, the main foods it seems like they eat a lot of is seafood, uh, especially fish, chicken, lamb, and goat, and some beef. But you don't hear much of pork. But when you go into, like you said, the European and Asian countries, pork is a big part of their diet mm-hmm. and all. You know, that, that's just interesting. And, and, and it makes me wonder. You know, as we talked about who are the true children of Israel, 
with those diets and and a lot of these uh, people that was taken into, you know, scattered through the four corners, scattered through the Americas and whatnot, and their diet consisted of beef, goat, lamb, chicken, and fish, it makes you wonder to start to think who are the true people to just off a diet alone. Yeah, that's, you can probably trace a lot of the dietary habits, you know, back to the Torah and who the true people are. Yeah, that's that that has some credence. Yeah, because like you said, we didn't get it. Uh, most people didn't get exposed to that pork until slavery times. I don't think oh. that was part of the diets back then in Africa. No. And then, you know, it makes sense now that the missionaries come onto the scene. Um, they brought it with them. But even still to this day, I still don't know how much or hear too much, even in Africa, of those eating pork that much. Mm. And, uh, you know, I still hear, you know, same thing, the beef, the chicken, the goat and lamb, you know, as pretty mm-hmm. parts of their diets and everything. Well, we're going yeah. to do part two to this in about two more weeks. Uh, we're going to deal with the fish of the sea. So if you have any questions about the fish of the sea or comments, please feel free to eat them in and we're going to get to them when we deal with that. Also homework for next week. We know that Passover is coming in a few more weeks. Passover is almost here. It's like, wow. Um, And one of the things with Passover is getting rid of the leaven out of our homes. Now, one of the things I've been trying to understand what items are leavened that we need to get out of our homes, throw away or get rid of during this time of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So if you could do some things for me, because I'm going to do it myself between now and our next podcast, uh, we want to discuss and let's talk about it next week about leaven. What is leaven uh, specifically and what things should we be getting ready to get rid of out of our house so that we do not have any leaven in our household during the time of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So uh, if you come up with anything, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com so we can reference it as we get ready to talk about that next week in preparation for uh, Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And Pastor, with that, can you take us to the throne as we get ready to close out for this week? Okay, eternal Father, we thank you again for the discussion that we've had. We pray and ask, Lord, that as we look at the various phases of redemption, O Heavenly Father, that we may align ourselves in such a way, whether living or dead, O Heavenly Father, our sacrifice through your Son, O Heavenly Father, may be accepted, and that one day, O Heavenly Father, we can have a life that we measure with the life of Elohim. And we know one thing, that once we have been redeemed, that we'll carry out the same principles here on this side of eternity, on the other side, because your word is eternal and your word is forever. So bless, keep, guide, and direct us and continue to lead us in the way of life. Bless those, O Heavenly Father, who is coming to a light of your word and that they may be able to continue to follow it and find the joy of Yahuwah. Pray for those who have been sick in the shed-ins. Pray for those who've experienced death of loved ones, O Heavenly Father, that thou would give the comforter of your Holy Spirit to give them the necessary comfort that they need in their loss, that they may know that you are still with them. Bless those, O Heavenly Father, who may not have jobs and need the necessary funds, O Heavenly Father, be able to carry on their life, that you would find them jobs or provide them with the resources that they may have a life 
that can be able to give them the things that they need in order to have a quality of life. And now, Father, as we continue to go throughout the Shabbat, renew, refresh, and revitalize us in such a way that as we face the new challenges of the days ahead, that the Sabbath would have prepared us for that. Bless my host and his family. Bless each listener and their families. Bless me and my family. And most of all, bless us as we are a part of your family. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Remember, next week we're going to be uh, talking about, and let's talk about a segment, Leaven. So if you have any questions or comments in regard to Leaven, please feel free throughout this week to send us an email on scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com so we can incorporate that in our discussion for next week. That is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. All the paths of Yahuwah are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Matthew 25, 10. Until next week, Shalom.